daily Bible reading this week has the book of Isaiah as part of the reading. And on Thursday, it'll be Isaiah chapter 11. And I want us to look at Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah. Can you find it? Does everybody have it? Give you another moment. Job, Psalms, Proverbs. If you open your Bible to the middle, you're going to find the Psalms. If you move ahead, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. There it is. 66 chapters. I want us to look at the whole chapter. Obviously, we, we won't be able to look in detail, great detail, at very much. But I want to begin with verse 9. Now, the first sentence, you can dismiss at the moment, but look at the last half of that verse where it says, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. You all see that? The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. I don't sense that today. I don't th- I think we're we're getting further and further away from that. We've had some great missionary work that's been done over the years, and uh, the United States of America has, has consistently sent out more missionaries than any other country, and we've tried to uh, share the gospel all around the world so that people this morning, in every time zone, as that time zone comes on Sunday, are worshiping the Lord. But I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that the earth is full of the knowledge of the Lord. Do you? Not yet. Not yet. But to be dramatic about it, notice what Isaiah says. He says, The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. As the waters fill the oceans, so will the knowledge of the Lord fill the earth. Now that means there's going to be at some point in the future a lot of people who know the Lord. Now, I realize Christianity is the largest religion on the face of the earth. I understand that. I understand that. But let's not look at that statistic and say because Christianity has more adherence than any other religion that this passage of Scripture is in any way fulfilled. It is certainly not. It is certainly not. So my question is, when will it be fulfilled? That's, that's my big concern. When's that going to happen? And um, so let's go back to verse 1 of chapter 11. We'll get down there in a few minutes. And hopefully we'll have some things that will be very helpful for you. But let's go back to verse 1. Whenever you're reading a book like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Daniel, it's tough. It is really, really tough. There's so many names. There's so many countries. There's so many concepts that you just can't, uh, unless you're brilliant, Unless you're absolutely brilliant, and that may include some of you this morning, it doesn't include me. It just takes a long time for me to digest a book like Isaiah. So I I adhere to a couple of very important things that you and I should do whenever we study any book like this. We should ask ourselves those five famous questions. 
Remember Rudyard Kipling did a little thing on the five famous questions? And then there's the one how, but it doesn't fit with the W's. The questions are who, what, where, when, and why. And if you consistently ask yourself those questions as you read, believe it or not, a lot of this will open up to you far easier than you, it will be far easier than you thought it would be. Look at chapter 11, verses 1 and following. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Now, a rod and a stem are from trees, right? Right, Joe? We're talking trees. We're talking about trunks or, or, or stumps, and we're talking about branches. And when you go into the next part of the verse, he just reiterates that. There's not only going to be a rod or a stem, but we're going to call it a branch that's going to grow out of the roots of the tree. He doesn't name what that branch is, but you and I know who that's referring to before we even go any further. But let's ask ourselves the who question here. Who is the branch? He is described in verses 2 and following. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So the branch is a what? A person. It's not a thing or a concept or a place. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord will all rest on him. Now, everybody together, who is the branch? Jesus is the branch. Now, I just want to bring this to your attention for just a moment. In, in, in the book of Isaiah, when you're trying to, trying to put together uh, the concepts, it, I, I say it's wise to kind of stay in a book like Isaiah. And don't go into the rest of the scriptures to see where your answers are or where your information is going to come from. Because more often than not, Isaiah, for instance, like any of these other large books that are difficult to understand, they're going to give you a lot more information. And if you just have a little notebook and you write it down there and say, okay, there's a branch, and every time I read a chapter in the book of Isaiah, I'm going to write information about this branch. And this branch is going to have the Spirit of the Lord. And every time I read a passage of Scripture about the Spirit of the Lord in relationship to a branch or a person, I'm going to write it down. And if you would faithfully do that in the book of Isaiah, you're going to come across several passages of Scripture. For instance, and I've just chosen three. For instance, you're going to come across, across Isaiah 42. And in Isaiah 42, you're going to read these words. Behold my servant whom I uphold. You don't know who I, my servant is, probably. If you've not read the book and you have identified the servant with the branch. But here is the father, my, the father, speaking about the son. My servant whom I uphold. My, the father, speaking about the son, says, my elect one in whom my soul delights. And then the punchline. What does it say in the very next verse? I have put my spirit, the Holy Spirit, upon him. 
He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street like some showman or someone who's come to just in pomp and circumstance uh, let everybody know who he is. No. Look at what he says in verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. Here is the branch, the Father is describing him, and is describing him as being so loving and so care, care showing so much care for us that we, the bruised reeds, we who are fragile, the Lord isn't going to come and just break us off because we're damaged goods. He isn't going to do it. Number two, he says we are like smoking flax. Somebody tried to start a fire and he could get it smoldering, but he couldn't get it to flame up. And so it's just a bunch of smoking flax, just about ready to go out, just about ready to be quenched. But Jesus is so loving and so concerned and so kind and so full of care for us that he's not going to put us out. He's going to nurture it into a flame. Now, I'm going to probably have to skip the other passages of Scripture, but in the New Testament, you know that this passage of Scripture is quoted in referring to Jesus, right? And the only reason I spend a little time discussing these kind of issues and the identity, the identity of the branch, for instance, is because you can, you can read this and you can take it out and you can share it and as many people who understand that it is the branch are going to challenge you and say, oh, no, it's not. That's not Jesus at all. And I just want you to know that it can be backed up very easily from Scripture that it is Jesus. And look at verse 3. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes. He's not going to judge by appearance. He's not going to decide cases by the hearing of his ears, hearsay information. He's going to judge with righteousness. He's going to judge the poor. He's going to decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He's going to strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Now that's a mouthful right there, but let me just narrow it down to a couple of simple statements. Here's a description of Jesus, the branch that's growing out of that tree that had been cut down, the nation of Israel. been cut down. It's been, had been cut down for a couple thousand years, right? It got fully cut down in A.D. 70, right after the death of Christ. The Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem and, and uh, leveled it as a nation. And God says, out of that stump is going to come a branch, Jesus and he's going, to come to, he's going to come to save us from our sin, and Isaiah tells us all about that. But in this particular passage of Scripture, he's coming back not as the lamb. He's coming back as a lion, so to speak, which is a great description of Christ when he comes back to rule and reign on this earth. And is he going to be a good judge? 
Yes. He's not going to be a deceitful judge. He's not going to be a judge that isn't going to know the facts. He isn't going to be a judge that makes his, his, uh, his uh, decisions based on hearsay information. He's going to judge because he is a righteous and a faithful judge. And if I were to say, okay, I want to know, in addition to the branch, who I need to add to the who question, I would have to simply add to the who question the poor, the meek of the earth. The Bible says the meek are going to inherit the earth, right? The wicked are included in here. And I say, okay, where do I fit into all of this? Now, we we cannot open this passage of Scripture up and just uh, share all all of the wonderful things you have to have a notebook. You get a notebook, and, and when you write down a word, when you read anything else in the book of Isaiah that has anything to do with that concept of that word, write down the notes. Let me give you an example of that in these first five verses. When the Bible says in verse 4 that Jesus is going to judge with righteousness, he backs it up in verse 5, with righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist. And as you continue to read through the book of Isaiah, when you get to 45, which will not be this week, but when you get to 45, you're going to read a fantastic passage of scripture in verse 8 of 45 that says, rain, Lord, rain down your heavens from above and let the skies pour down righteousness. We need a great rainstorm around here. And we need it to be a rainstorm of righteousness. Let the earth open and let them bring forth salvation and let righteousness spring up together. So he's saying, Lord, we just need you to rain down righteousness and we need to see righteousness springing up from the earth. I don't know about you, but that's an exciting concept for me. Now I want you to look at verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. Because when we ask the question, uh, who and what is going to be a question and where and when and why, you're going to have to go through verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. Now, if you have a New King James Version of the Bible, would you read this with me? This has got to be one of my favorite passages of Scripture in all of God's Word. The wolf, everybody together, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. And they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Now you have three, you know, you got, you got people who look at this passage of the scripture and say, well, this certainly isn't true and never will be. You got people who look at it that way. The ra- a rationalist will look at it that way and say, that's never, ever going to happen. Yeah, we can dream about a utopia on earth and 
we seem to be spending an inordinate, inordinate amount of time thinking about that and planning it from a human perspective. That's the one thing I would say. Humans will never bring a utopia on the earth. That God can do it. And God's going to do this. You have another group of people who say, well, that, that's, that's nice. Wolf and lamb, leopard and young goat, a cow and a bear grazing together. Young ones putting their hands in the holes of snakes. Oh, that's metaphorical. That isn't really going to happen, but it's a great lesson. There's a wonderful lesson in here, and that's the lesson is that God is going to bring about an enormous amount of peace that it's going to include the natural world. It certainly will include the animal kingdom as well. Now, I don't like spiders. But I think when this happens, you're going to love spiders. You'll probably let them play all over your arms. I don't like snakes, but already we're told that's going to be okay. You'll probably like them a whole lot better. They're not going to bother you. They're not going to be a problem for you whatsoever. It kind of reminds me of the of the story of, uh, true story, this, uh, this, this mother had five little girls over in her, in her kitchen, and they were playing on the floor in the kitchen, and she decided to just go next door to the neighbor's house. She left the door open. She could hear the, hear the kids talking and playing. And she went over to the neighbor's house just for a minute, and after she was over there for a couple of minutes, she heard uh, no noise. I don't hear the kids saying anything. So she got up and she ran back over to the house. And as soon as she came in the door, she saw the five girls sitting there in a circle on the floor. With And in the middle of the circle were five little baby skunks. <laughs> and all she could think about was, children, run! And they all picked up a skunk and ran. That will be okay in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. Now, notice when we get to verse 10 that it kind of goes back to verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And in verse 10 it says, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Up to this time, I've been kind of like a bystander looking at all of this and saying, this is, this is wonderful news. When is it going to happen? What is it all about? I love verse 10, because verse 10 says that Jesus is going to set up a banner to the people. And for the first time in this passage of Scripture, I see my name among the group of people who will be part of this experience. Do you see yours? It's got a capital G there. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and God's resting place shall be glorious. It'll be a wonderful resting place. The land where he lives will be glorious. I see my name there. 
So the day is coming, God promises, a day when the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. If you've ever flown in an airplane across the ocean, you know exactly what this is all about. If you've ever been on a ship in the time of the Old Testament or the New Testament and you cross the Mediterranean Sea, you know exactly what he's talking about here. Now, <clears throat> Jesus is going to set up a banner. This root of Jesse, which is Jesus, is going to set up a banner. We have two banners here. We have a banner over there. It's called an American flag. And we have a banner over there, which is called the Christian flag. Right? Jesus is going to set up a banner. He's going to set up a flag. What's a flag for? A flag is a, a place in the Bible. A banner was a rallying point. You, know, you set up a banner and everybody rallies around the banner. And whatever the responsibility is, whether it's a military exercise or whether it is a religious exercise, we rally around the banner. And so the Bible says that the root of Jesse, Jesus is going to stand as a banner to the people. And then in verse 12, he also says to us, not only is he standing as a banner to the people, but he will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. He's raising a flag among the nations, a banner, no doubt, of salvation. Jesus is doing that. Now, Tuesday's election day. We honor the flag because God asks us to. We honor it because we know that our founding fathers established our country on Christian principles. So that's important. But this is even more important. Amen? It's even more important. Well, <clears throat> when do you think this is going to happen? When do you think this is going to happen? Tomorrow, next day? What's going to be the point, what's going to be the big event in history that's going to usher it in? The second coming of Christ. Now, we don't have time. See, we're, we're almost done. We're almost done. But I want you to be aware of what happens here in the rest of the chapter in verses 11 through 16. I want you to be aware of what's happening here. What he does is he's not only described for us the branch that's going to rule and the change in nature. Why he chose to put that in there, I don't know. But, but I'll tell you what, it excites me to notice that he's going to redo this all of nature at some point in history after the second coming. But notice what he does here next is he talks about the recovery of his people from the four corners of the earth. And in verse 11, I just want to bring to your attention that the Lord is going to set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left. The second time, well, God has had to rescue his people the first time from Egypt, second time from Assyria, third time from Babylon, 
Fourth time, fifth time, many times God has rescued his people. But the second time, he goes on into history down to the present day, I believe, when he says that he's rescuing his people from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and the islands of the sea. He is rescuing them from the four corners of the earth. And then he's got dramatic description as how he's going to do it. It's going to be as dramatic as the exodus from Egypt, according to this passage of Scripture. And when everybody is assembled together, and because I'm in this group, you see, as a Gentile, when everybody's assembled together, Chapter 12 gives us, uh, it's kind of like everybody going to an event. You have, a, you have a Bible conference or something, and people are coming from all over the United States, and they're coming to this event, and finally the event occurs, and it's the first evening of the event, and everybody's, getting, everybody's together, and they're sitting there, and they're saying, wow, this is wonderful. Now we can thank the Lord and praise the Lord and uh, Declare his deeds among the people. Just read so it's only six verses in chapter 12. But this is God's plan. And I think you have one of the best descriptions of the millennial reign of Christ that we have in the Bible. If I were to tell you, if I were to ask you, if I were to give you a quick description, let me give you a quick description here, and then we'll close. I have a little video here I want you to see. But if I were to give you a, a, a simple, simple example of what does it mean when God is going to make sure that the earth is full of his knowledge. As the waters fill the sea. I would go to passages of Scripture like chapter 2, verses Two and following. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it, and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. And here's a famous practical aspect. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Father in heaven, we're humbled by your word. And Father, we thank you for the future that you have planned. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for being the branch, coming to pay the penalty for our sin. And just as you came the first time, we thank you for your promise of a second coming, this time to judge the world, to reign in righteousness, to give us peace, a quiet existence in all godliness. And gracious Heavenly Father, we pray in your precious name that you would encourage our hearts, may it engender the hope that we need to have, May it engender the concern that we should have in our hearts to be prepared, Lord, for your coming. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.